Hello, be beautiful. Welcome to another episode of It's Time to Be You, the podcast that helps people pleasers take control and finally put themselves first. I'm your host, Ariel Von Bretter, and I'm a life coach and recovering people pleaser here to guide you on your journey. And I don't know about you, but for a long time and something that I'm still working on is really trusting myself. I struggle with listening to the small voice in my head that tells me to do something or lets me know how I'm really feeling about something. And I think that I struggle with that because of my people-pleasing tendencies. Like I would ignore my gut feeling so that I could just go with the flow, do what other people wanted or what I thought I should be doing. And of course, just like not doing something because of what other people might think about what I was doing, you know, a lot of that fear of judgment. So I think part of our journey in taking control and putting ourselves first is to really know ourselves, to trust ourselves and to listen to those little whispers and those little nudges that we have and actually like following through with them. And so our guest today is someone that has really been living her life based off those small whispers and nudges. We get to speak with Elena Sanino, life coach, speaker, yoga teacher, and now author of Inhabit Your Joy, a book of nudges. And we get to learn how Elena was so focused on other people's needs and wants that she was ignoring her whispers and was just kind of settling in her life. She realized that she couldn't keep living that way and she decided to start to take control of her life. So Elena teaches us how to listen to our whispers, how to become our own best friend, and how to live into our personal core values. This episode will help you get back to the person you are meant to be and take control of your life by listening to those small whispers and nudges. Elena, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm just really excited to talk to you about your story. But first, I just want to know who you are and tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you for having me. I I really think I do did just find my new best friend. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, what am I? This is an exciting question. Start off with the hard questions. I know. I know. It's funny, right? This this who am I question is actually a really interesting question to play with on a daily basis, but I digress. I consider myself a guide, right? Yes, I'm a life coach. Yes, I teach yin yoga and I speak and I've authored a book. But really at the end of the day, I consider myself a guide for women who want to step out of the shadows of the walls that they've created in their lives, the people pleasing, the survival mode, and into the doorways of possibility by connecting to what I think of as their most rooted and nourished self, right? This sense of like self-awareness and connection and being rooted and fully alive in your body. So that's, you know, if I were to have a little blurb next to my name, that's what it would say, give or take. Um, And I come to all of that from a history of, I've always been a person who just asked good questions and helped people find their own answers from when I was in high school, growing up in Michigan to when I was a classroom elementary school teacher. And over the course of my life, I've been taught by experiences that I was really the thing that I had been waiting for, right? All Mm -hmm. of the clarity, all of the knowing, all of the wisdom, all of the power was always inside me. I just kind of had to get out of my own way. And so I eventually, after a career in the school system and then doing, taking some years to do some writing, 
realized, oh, right, this thing that I do, I'm a coach. <laughs> so I went down that path formally and, and then added in my yoga teacher certification because to me, the, the two are so symbiotic, right? And if I want to invite somebody to get out of their head, I need to give them a place to go. And the body is always home base for me. So yes. I love that. <clears throat> I actually just started um, doing some yoga and I totally agree that like it's a great place to really connect with yourself and connect the mind and body and it's like I've always heard about yoga being great for that but I was just like oh that sounds slow and like I can't do that but it's been so helpful. Well, and I saw, correct me if I'm wrong, but you played with some aerial yoga, is that true? <laughs> yeah, I did, yes. That was so fun. Right. Yeah, it's There's just like it's freedom. Yeah, it's so cool to just see like what our bodies can do and just taking the like patient like having more patience to be able to try new things and let ourselves be in the moment and not yes. be so hard on ourselves for not getting it right or being perfect at first. Like that's really been my biggest lesson. Absolutely. Well, and it's funny because I used to really, I don't use the word hate very much, but I kind of hated yoga. <laughs> I mean, when it was the first time I enjoyed it was when I was pregnant. So my daughter's now 17 and a half. And then no, right. Because I was a runner, I was very, you know, type A, have to do, have to be doing. And the idea of like laying there in Shavasana and not doing anything for five minutes, I was like, there's got to be another way. But then I realized I was craving, I was going, I was taking yoga classes and practicing when I was traveling. I'd be like, oh, yoga. And I was doing it when I was out and about, never at home. And I thought, well, that's yeah. interesting. And then when I did find my practice, it came at a time when I was frustrated with my running, when I had realized that I, I kind of wasn't going to allow myself to run anymore because running was always about the finish line and destination mm. for me. And yeah. I, at that point knew that that's not what life was, <laughs> but it's, I couldn't, I couldn't be satisfied. Right. I was perpetually dissatisfied. Mm. And so, you know, cue kind of me finding my yoga practice and realizing that any day, right to left morning or evening, right. Um, the body is just different. And so it taught mm -hmm. me acceptance, absolutely to be present and to find a different way of being in connection with my body. So yes, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> and I just like love that example too, because like I am a runner. I haven't ran in a while, but I <laughs> consider myself a runner, but I'm the exact same way. It's like whenever I am into running, it's like because I have a race to do and a finish line to cross. And, and yes, when I am training, like I do enjoy my runs, but I, I totally get that of like, it's about the finish line and being done yeah. and not actually like, the journey and the moment, like the whole process of it. So I totally yeah, get right? that. Yeah. It's, and I thought that I, so I didn't run for years and I had decided I wasn't going to run until I could get curious until I could do it just for fun. Yeah. And occasionally I'd be like, okay, I'm ready. I'd go for a run. I'm like, okay, that was fun, but I'm not, I'm not going to, this isn't a thing. And then this whisper of, because I've run five marathons really slowly, but, um, <laughs> and about two years ago, this little whisper of, Oh, maybe a marathon. And I was mm. like, no, 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 no. All right, I hear you put, putting you aside. And this whisper kept knocking. Yeah. And so last year I was like, all right, well, what if, like, what if I could do this really from the perspective of just being curious? 
Yeah. Right? Knowing what I know now. And so I did, I signed up for the Brooklyn marathon. It was, it should have been in at the end of April this year. Mm-hmm. And I had started training. And what's funny is I had started training and I also ride my Peloton bike. And I remember mm-hmm. getting on the bike and one of the instructors was saying that her fiance had just gone out for a three hour run. And I was like, Oh, three <laughs> hours. And then I went, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> I signed um, up for a marathon. <laughs> it's going to take me five. <laughs> so I'm going to need to be friend that. But then I ended up breaking my wrist uh, this January. And um, though the doctor was like, you can still run in a cast with your wrist broken. And I'm thinking to get sweaty and stuff. <laughs> no, no. So I ended up deferring. So we'll, who knows what will happen next year. But um, yeah. I really just wanted to run to Coney Island is really what I wanted to do. And as my <laughs> husband has said, he's like, you could just go do that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also like all about the whole experience of being there with other people and stuff like it that. Is 100%. And yeah. I'm curious so, because you brought up like hearing that little whisper. Have there, have there been other times where you've heard like little whispers that you've followed through on or ignored or what's that been like? Oh my goodness. So many times, Ariel. <laughs> so um, I think the ones that I've ignored have been the real, I mean, both have been equally powerful. And mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, the hallmark is the short answer is yes. And if I think about the times of the ones I've ignored, those are off also the times where I have been least connected to myself and mm-hmm. most in survival mode. I, I don't really consider myself a, like at, at the outset a, a people pleaser per se, mm-hmm. except that when I'm not rooted to who I am and what makes me me, and I lose track of what it is that's important to me, then I start um, ignoring my whispers, my desires, my priorities, and yeah. allow the needs of others, right? And so one of those, I mean, one of the first whispers, um, I mean, so many, but (laughs) when I was first married Mm -hmm. and, you know, I have this daughter who's now 17 and a half. Her dad and I have been divorced, separated since she was two and a half. We, you know, divorced a year later, but early on in, we got married and, you know, my ex-husband is, is a good person and a good Mm -hmm. dad. Um, And I met him at a time in my life, actually training for my first marathon yeah. And he accepted me for parts of, of having a medical history that was a bit of a question mark because I was a cancer survivor and we didn't know what that was going to mean. And he, he created a space for me to belong at the beginning. Yeah. And then as we went, I recognized there was this whisper of, yeah, but like, what's actually important to you? So I was constantly saying no to my whispers to make room for his desires. Yeah. Right. To do things like go for long car rides, which I don't really like doing. (laughs) (laughs) Like not my idea of fun, but for him. Right. And so there was the squashing of my whispers. Mm. Yeah. Until the day that I just like, there was this whisper of like, it's time. Right. It's time. And, you know, me, the idea of me leaving, of being the one to leave the marriage was not something that I ever thought was acceptable, (laughs) Um, right? And to do that to my daughter and and whatever, for all the reasons. Um, But that, it was definitely a whisper that, again, like kept knocking. And I had to 
what I've realized is the whispers that are most important, I have to hear them. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like I write them down and kind of forget about it, like create a little distance. And then yeah. we, like, it finds me again. I'm like, oh yeah, still you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it took me a little bit of time to actually trust that particular whisper. Yeah. But then there are others where, you know, I hear it and I'm like, oh, oh okay. Right. So years ago, uh, we were in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I'm now remarried and we were there for a half marathon. Mm-hmm. And we were supposed to be there to early to acclimate to the elevation. Right. And instead, I saw these, I didn't know what they were, these colorful things coming down off the mountain. And they were um, paragliding parachutes. Oh, cool. And <laughs> I literally, right? I was like, oh, I want to do that. I mean, never in my wildest dreams would I have thought I want to paraglide. But yeah. it was like this voice from inside me that literally bubbled up and was like, you will do that. <laughs> And that eventually, when I did paraglide that weekend with a pilot and like instructor, <laughs> not by myself, and he said to me, "Okay, it's your turn to steer." Mm-hmm. Like everything, I, I think, because the interesting thing when you paraglide is you don't make big sweeping movements with your hands; like you right. just turn like a finger ever so slightly, and and that changes your direction. Ooh. <clears throat> yeah. And that, <laughs> that experience is essentially what helped me realize because I had been thinking about becoming a coach for a while and doing my training, Yeah, but between having taken off, like jumping off the mountain, because you do kind of run, take a running leap off the mountain and then the air catches you and you make these small adjustments. By the time we landed, unbeknownst to my husband, I was like, okay, so this is my next chapter. <laughs> so it's to me the there's a curiosity that right. allows me to hear those whispers um, yeah. and there have been all sorts <laughs> yeah i mean i love those two stories and it's so like especially with your first one and you know with thinking about you know having a divorce like that's a tough one and i feel like you know it's hard sometimes for us to trust ourselves. Like if we have a thought and we're like, no, that doesn't sound right. But it's like, when it keeps coming up, like you're like, yes, that is my like intuition. I need to follow that and listen to that and lean into like, what is that small whisper? But then when it's something fun and exciting, you're like, even if it does sound like a bad idea, you're like, oh, that sounds fun. Like I'm gonna do that. And like, you listen to that little whisper when it's, you know, sounds a little bit easier. Yeah. But it, well, it's funny, right? Because there have also been times where the whisper of something that would be fun has felt, I have had to let it linger and keep knocking a little bit more, right? Mm. Even like writing the book or um, deciding, I mean, there's a whisper that's really strong that one day I want to own and run a retreat center. Yeah. And, and that is a huge undertaking, right? I mean, right. so, and it's, so it's, it's this thing that I've like listened and received and I trust it implicitly yeah. and yet it feels daunting. And so there are these, I think just noticing, right? And, yeah. and I think, I mean, I love what you said about, you know, the intuition and, and listening to it. I think about it a little bit like if you're talking with a best friend, mm-hmm. right? If your best friend were to say to you, hey, like I keep thinking about this thing, we would probably encourage them to explore it. Right, right, Or ask questions, you'd be like, ooh, right? Whereas we in our day-to-day lives 
whatever that whisper is, we tend to be either moving so fast, we're not listening, mm-hmm. right? So it, it, it passes, like we're just not, not paying attention or we hear it and we're like, no, right? Now it's not the time. I couldn't possibly, whatever it is. And, and then the body starts to talk to us. I mean, I think mm-hmm. about when I broke my wrist, <laughs> it was the day that my book launched. Same day that my book launched, I broke my wrist. And um, I was out going out for a walk with the dog and it had, I mean, it's Virginia. So the weather is weird in January. Yeah, <laughs> it, it had maybe snowed or rained or something a few days before. And there was just a little bit of wetness. And I remember having the thought, don't walk on the sidewalk. You might slip. Mm. <clears throat> and so it's like, okay, so I won't. Except then I did. (laughs) And I did. I literally slid on the ice and broke my wrist. And it's funny because in a way, it was like the universe saying to me, so here's the thing. We've been trying to talk to you. Your body has been trying to talk to you. Perhaps you need some rest. You need to go back into nourishment because you've been a lot of doing. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to call time out. (laughs) you know, this ice, you're welcome. (laughs) Not the whoosh that I thought I was going to create, but but I did. I whooshed and my wrist broke. And luckily I didn't need surgery, right? My body was able to heal itself, Yeah, but it was a really interesting. So, so this idea of when we don't listen to the whispers, they get louder and louder Yeah, (laughs) until we can't help but hear them. And that ranges from the really positive to the extreme on the other end, right? And right. certainly breaking a wrist is not the extreme on the other end. But but there is, I think we know, and we just have mm-hmm. to allow ourselves to honor what, what it is we know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, yeah, it's always so crazy to think about stories like that, because it is definitely, you know, I think certain things are going to happen, whether you like it or not, or whether you're ready or not. And it's like, if they're meant to happen, like the universe just has a way of like, well, we tried to give you a warning or ease you into it, but you're not taking the break you need or you're not taking the leap you need. So we're just going to make it happen for you and and you need to slow down. So I love that. Yeah, right. It is it is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm curious to go back to your divorce. And I think mm-hmm. that is a huge part of your story and like kind of where you are now. So I'm curious of like, you know, what made it what made that little voice get bigger to where you decided to finally like leave for yourself? Yeah, I think there was, there were a few things. The first was realizing that every time I didn't listen to that voice, I was disrespecting myself and I wasn't mm. and right. So I wasn't respecting myself. I wasn't valuing myself, uh, my priorities, who I am. So, so that was one. The second thing, I mean, honestly, my daughter was young and I didn't want her growing up with us as a version, as her model for love. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, real talk. Yeah. <laughs> like that was really, I, I love my grandparents so, so much. Um, they're neither of them or any of, none of my grandparents are alive anymore, but my, my dad's parents were married 50 years, mm-hmm. but what I remember most is that for many of those years, in the years, you know, my formative years, my grandmother 
just wasn't always very nice to my grandfather, mm-hmm. right? She would say things and kind of, and, and, and I, she's a super strong personality. She's amazing. But I, I just, I didn't want to get to the point where I wasn't being very, I wasn't being myself. I wasn't allowing somebody else to be themselves, right? So that was, so there was this respect and valuing and really I didn't want Samantha, my daughter, to, to have that for, for her model of what a good relationship should look like. Right. I mean, that's really with affection. Yeah. And thank you for, you know, being so vulnerable and sharing that. Wow. And I think sometimes you, you see couples that stay together and they're like, we're staying together for the kids. I'm like, but is that the best idea? Like maybe it would be a better example if you guys weren't together anymore and each yeah. of you were happy. And like, that's a better example rather than just having, you know, what, what a family should look like. Right. Well, and then I love that you mentioned the happiness aspect, right? Because here I was, I was, you know, in my late twenties, early thirties at that point, I had wanted two things in my life at that point. I had wanted to become an elementary school teacher and to become a mom. Mm -hmm. And even through a cancer diagnosis where both of those things kind of came into question and then becoming, going into remission, I had achieved both of those and yet I wasn't happy. Mm. And I, and I felt, and not only was I not happy, but you know, I'd go to therapy and then I was in this relationship and we just, it was like, we were roommates, right? There wasn't even big fighting. It just, we were kind of roommates and, and a lot of elements kind of came together to realize, right. This isn't, I'm not doing anything wrong. Right. <laughs> this isn't my fault. But but if I want to be a person who honors, you know, desires and joy, then and, and my doctor. So when I first found out I was pregnant, we had been going down the path. I wasn't supposed to be able to get pregnant. I was in early menopause because of my the treatments, my bone marrow transplant for my Hodgkin's disease. Mm-hmm. And over and over again, right? You're not gonna be able to have a baby. You're not gonna be able to have a baby. You're not gonna be able to have a baby. Lo and behold, we try to have a baby. We can't have a baby. They're right. So we go down the path for a donor egg, mm-hmm. which is, and at this time, it's before things are digital. digital there were literally like binders, <laughs> like <laughs> files, right, of donors. I remember looking through the binders. So we had picked our donor and we were weeks away from yeah me getting this donor egg. And so they were putting my body through the process, the medicines to just like trial run, kind of dry run. Mm-hmm. And I then go to school on the morning where I'm teaching and I had already been to the doctor's office that morning and the doctor's office calls and I call them back. And the doctor says, so I don't know how to tell you this, but you're five weeks or so pregnant. Oh, wow. And I was devastated because right this was supposed to be the happiest news and yet I had been told a it wasn't possible and even if it was it wouldn't be viable right and so I'm like sobbing 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 and the doctor let me cry and then he said look you have two choices you can grieve or you can celebrate until the day you can't oh yeah and I was like, oh, okay, option B, check, check, yeah. right? So I proceeded to like scream and delight, right? All the teachers, like, it was just, it was a thing. Yeah. And then I remember on my way home, I went to the pharmacy to buy a pregnancy test because I wanted to see it for myself and a yeah. journal to start writing letters to this unborn grain of rice, essentially. Aww. And 
when I thought, when, when I found myself, you know, only a year or so later, right, was this postpartum, was this, right, all, like constantly berating myself for not being happier. I remembered what this doctor had said to me. Yeah. And it just became very clear that this was not my path, that perhaps my husband at the time, right, he was there, like he and I created this beautiful being. Yeah. And maybe that was enough, period. Right. Yeah. But to reclaim, right, my joy, my desire was going to require me to do something that felt honestly a little Herculean because right? mm-hmm. it was scary. And, you know, I was a teacher, you know, about to become a single mom. And, um, and even with his full support, right, like we shared custody, we still share custody mm-hmm. and we live very close by and we did an amazing job at co-parenting all these years, but it just it was really deciding that I needed to become my own best friend and I needed to stop putting the desires and the wants of others ahead of mine. Right. And so, I mean, there's like so much to that story, (laughs) but, (laughs) but I, I guess I want to know, like, you know, after you all like made the decision to separate and get divorced and you had to really become your own best friend and like, really find out who you were and what would make you happy. Like, like, what did that look like? What did you do? Yeah. So the first was really starting to just explore. All right. So what is it like to begin to kind of know myself, right? Listening, creating practices to listen. So that's about the time that I found my yoga practice and um, through running kind of learned meditation. And then there was this certainly taking myself on dates, right? Because I had also never dated here. I was dating, but I was like, okay, if I'm going to allow myself to be seen by others, I actually have to allow myself to be seen by me. And so really kind of treating myself the way that I wanted to be treated. Yeah. Right. So just regular day-to-day gestures, the way that I spoke to myself, the way that I looked, you know, did I smile or cringe when I saw myself in the mirror? Right. Kind of thing. And then one of the most valuable things that I did was to really get up close and personal with your, my core values mm-hmm. with the, the, for me, five, right? Some people say four to seven, three to five, right? Depending on who, who you Google, there are so many resources <laughs> on core values, but those qualities that tether me, that make me uniquely me. And what's interesting is once I got clear on those, I was like, oh, now I see why my first marriage didn't work, right? Because my core values were not the same of what I assume my ex-husbands are, right? <laughs> and, and not that we have to have the same, but ours were kind of in contrast or how we dealt with them were in contrast, right? right? So one of mine is is freedom, right? Being able to... To, I mean, I love to all things flying, um, but but that feeling of like vastness and also being uninhibited. Mm-hmm. And to some degree there, I felt as if there was this element of, of being controlled, perhaps by my own doing, I enabled it, right? Of always saying yes to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, so commitment was one. Belonging, yeah. right? Feeling a deep sense of belonging, uh, curiosity. Yeah. So I often talk about curiosity as my superpower, <laughs> right? Um, but 
in my marriage. So it was really interesting to see. I was like, oh, because when I wasn't doing those, I was totally disconnected from who I was. Mm -hmm. When I was married in that first marriage, I wasn't curious. I wasn't asking questions. I wasn't doing things just for fun, right? Everything had to be planned and, and thought through. And I was kind of losing those parts of myself. But the more I realized, could I lean into this? Right. That's where then, you know, things like paragliding emerge, <laughs> right? That, that listening to those whispers. Yeah. So curiosity, right? So the core values element for me gave me roots. Yeah. I mean, I love that you bring up your core values because I think that is definitely like a starting point. And it, it, I feel like our core values is something that, you know, you do like a training on, you know, at work or something. And you're like, okay, here's my list. And then you like never look at it again. But like when you actually like know your values, then like you can really align it with like everything else that you're doing, like seeing it in your relationships, like do our values line up or, you know, with your work, is this where, does it allow me to be the person I'm really supposed to be? So like, how do you, I guess, like, how do you recommend people like find Mm -hmm. their values and then how can they actually incorporate and like be aware of them? Yeah. Well, I, so I have some questions. So there are a ton of lists out there. Yeah. And lists are great, except for when they're not. (laughs) Um, And I started my first core values exploration was from a list and it Mm -hmm. got me to a a place of awareness. Right. Mm -hmm. But I actually love some questions. um, And and there are usually four that I use. So the first is and this and so let me just preface this by saying this isn't usually done in one sitting, right? So right. when I work on this with my clients, it's actually, I have a group that it's a 10 week group that essentially like we play with this all 10 weeks because it can be a process to percolate and let them emerge and to experiment. Yeah. But the questions are, the first one is, um, what are the qualities or tendencies or characteristics that are present when you are when you feel most you, mm-hmm. right? Most lit up, most nourished. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's one. Uh, another is what are the qualities or tendencies that are present in your role models in the people you admire? Mm-hmm. Right. So what do they exhibit? Yeah. There's actually one that I is I think the most valuable during your pride moments. So the moments mm-hmm. where perhaps you needed that were a challenge, right? What were the qualities or characteristics that helped? characteristics that helped you through those moments. Yeah. And the the last question that I find is actually for the reasons that we talked about in terms of like when I noticed it not present in my marriage, Mm -hmm. what are the characteristics or values that are lacking, that we're lacking in the moments where you are all out ragey? (laughs) Those moments that have like angered or saddened or enraged you that you want to take a stand for right the absence of your core values right of certain values is is to me like a magnifying lens on what your core values are because there's a difference I just I like to distinguish between aspirational values the things (laughs) we would you would like to embody right versus the things that just are and always have been yours yeah. So those are the four that I like to play with. And then, right, you brainstorm. You just mm-hmm. like let them all download. And then it's a little bit like if you were to do these on post-it notes um, or a whiteboard, right, you, you categorize them and they're like, all right, which ones fit together? 
Right. And you notice, is there like a category heading, right? Is there something that kind of encapsulates them? And some might fit into, and so then, you know, dwindling them down Mm-hmm. to then a, you know, something like three to five. Uh, I have an educational neuroscientist friend who's like, no, it's five to seven. And then Brene <laughs> Brown is like, there are two. I'm like, I did. okay. Whatever works for you. <laughs> Whatever works for you. Um, but it's that, it's kind of that process. So begin yeah. with a brainstorm. And then to me, after I use, I, with my clients, we go through these questions and I have them brainstorm and for some of them, then I say, now here's a list. Now look at this list. Mm-hmm. Are there any other words that like jump out at you based on your journaling reflections? Right. Right. Because sometimes it's helpful to go bigger yeah. and then narrow it down to be able to distinguish between one word or another word. Right. Yeah. No, I, that is really helpful. I love those questions to think about and that you talk about like it is kind of like a process that you have to like sit with it and think about it. Cause I think a lot yeah. of times when people do those like value worksheets, it's like, well, these are the words that are here. It must be that. And then especially right. that aspirational value. I know the first times I did that, I'm like, well, I want to be like this. And, you know, right. but then it's like, when you really think about it, you're like, it's okay if that's not me. Like, yeah. Like yeah. I think the thing, one I think about all the time is like how like families on there, like, yes, I love my family, but I, it's not like my core value, like. <laughs> Correct. Well, and that's a great example, right? Because family, nature, and faith come up mm-hmm. often for people. Yeah. And I, it, they very well could be a core value for somebody, but I usually dig in with people on, okay, wh- so what is it about family or what is it about faith, right? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes those have to do with either presence or connection or belonging, yeah. right? If you really, really dig in. So, so then it becomes, all right, what do you do with them once you know what they are? Right. <laughs> yeah. Like we're not just going to have these be, at least with me, they aren't just going to live on a piece of paper. Right. But they can become, I mean, one of the things I love to do is you can be sit, sitting or standing, but imagining like mm-hmm. allowing the feeling of like roots to grow down from underneath your feet and legs and have these be your core values. Yeah. Right. So that you feel rooted, tethered, like having this foundation. Right. Um, what a good then, visual. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, I'm glad. And then every week. So I have a journal that I use that I created and I use it with my client and for myself. And every week it asks like, what is your intention for the week? And then how will my core values help me live that intention? Help me bring that intention forward. Right. So, so I then every think about, so for instance, this week, right. I'm like looking at my journal commitment. Right. So I wrote down like nourish my body Mm -hmm. with movements that feel joyful. Yeah. Right. And that also, that also went in like, that's also how I was going to nourish belonging. Right. There was kind of allowing my body to belong just as it is with this practice. So, so I'm just really intentional about, okay, how can I, how can I let my week and my intentions on what I want to be bring forward be infused by these core values. Yeah. And they also become filters for discernment, for like decision making. Right. Yeah. So if you have to choose between things, thinking about, well, you know, like, <laughs> does this feel like commitment or freedom or whatever it is, delight um, or not? And and just using that almost as like a compass, right? As the cardinal directions on a compass. Yeah. So that's how yeah. I then use them and bring them off the page. Oh, I love that. And I love that like you really use it weekly to set your intentions. Because I think 
and I and I love the question itself of like, what are my intentions for the week? Because I think a lot of times we just get so busy with like our to do's and like what we you know have to get done for the week that then the week flies by. But if you actually yeah. focus on like, well, what's my intention and then tie it back to my values, and then also like with everything on your to do list, like does this fit with who I you know want to be, or do I really yeah. need to get this done or? Or do I really need to do this if someone else has like asked you to do it? So I just love how it all ties together, of, like how you're living your life. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah. They're, they're really, I, I've had clients, you know, people say to me, oh, it's not, you're not really going to talk about core values again, are you? I am. <laughs> because the, to me, they're so useful. And right, you know, it becomes, I don't know, to me, it's once you know what they are, mm-hmm. have you ever like, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I'll get a mirror or something that's like glassy. And I'm uh-huh. like, why, why does it not look clear? And there's a film on it and you have to like <laughs> peel the film off. Right. Yeah. But I kind of feel like once you know your core values, it's a little bit like peeling that film off. You can start to see yourself right. and how you are showing up in your life more clearly. Right. And yeah. It gives you presence to then come into like awareness and then make choices. Yeah. Oh, and then I just kind of think about it like it's almost like a filter as well. Like if you're seeing through it, if you don't have that, your life is kind of like being filtered by these things that are like put upon you. But if you kind of remove that, but you're creating like a new filter, that's like actually what you want it to be. (laughs) 100%. And I am not an educational neuroscientist, but I have a friend who is Stacey Danford, and she actually talks about your core values as your foundational filters, that the brain actually, your reticular activating system, mm-hmm. right? That's about <laughs> as much as I can tell you. It's, it is how your brain takes in information yeah. and it uses these values are the filters with which it takes in that information. So yeah. brain science for anybody that likes to you know, geek out on that. Cause yes. it's <laughs> I've, I've been, uh, learning to geek out on that stuff. And our brains are just so cool about how you can actually like rewire them and change yeah. them for like more happiness and joy. And yeah, yeah. there's so much. So much. I love so it. Much. And then I wanted to, you mentioned about, you know, the your book that was released. I would love to hear yeah. more about that. Yeah. So the book is called Inhabit Your Joy, a book of nudges. And it is it is literally a book of nudges of I think 35 <laughs> or 36 nudges to help you be rooted, curious, and fully alive in your life so that you can choose to inhabit your joy on any given day, even when life feels stormy or like rainbows and unicorns and everything in between. And <laughs> it is a book, when I envisioned it, I really had to get out of my own way to figure out what this book was going to be about, right? Because I don't know what I'm going to write about. (laughs) And then I was like, well, I've always been this person who asked good questions, right? So I really decided to honor who I was and what I am. And so wrote it in a way that it could live on your desk or on your nightstand and you could open it on any given day and allow a nudge to find you. So, right. So if you want, we can, we can, I can open up a nudge for us. Yeah. I'm I'm curious to know what the nudges are. And I'm just like, it kind of goes back to like those little voices. (laughs) Absolutely. Right. And there are all sorts of different, there are six nudges that are yin yoga shapes that just help you become present in your body. Um, There are nudges that are, you know, quick little like turnarounds or disruptors. Um, 
there are nudges that invite a little bit more journaling. So let's see. Maybe yeah. we'll take a breath. In. <laughs> All right. We're going we're gonna to take a breath in. And let it go. Let's see which one that finds us. I use it a little bit like an Oracle deck almost. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so uh, the nudge that found us is be curious number nine, which is create Ooh. space for and instead of or. Oh, okay. Uh, so for each nudge, there's a little bit of context, there's a story, and then the nudge itself. Um, so the nudge itself is try adding an and in to replace all or nothing thinking. Mm. This practice doesn't change circumstances, but it creates an energetic shift that reminds the brain that your thriving isn't defined by one moment, right? So I am tired and I'm giving myself credit for having done this thing that I wanted to do, right? Because usually right. the brain goes to like the negativity bias of the thing that didn't work. Yeah. So shifting or allowing, creating space for an and allows things to be both. Right. <laughs> right? It can be stormy outside and you can feel good about something. Something can be growing, right? Um, yeah. You, so it's that idea of really shifting from that all or nothing mm -hmm. to... What, what I say in here is I want you to know there isn't a non-compete clause when it comes to your thriving. You can thrive even when things feel challenging. You can thrive and inhabit your joy even when life is stormy. You aren't defined by your up moments or your down moments. You thrive in the and moments. Oh, that is so good. <laughs> I'm so glad you opened to that. And I think yeah. that's so true. Like we get you know, stuck in like a down moment. And then we think like, this is it, but it's just, I, I mean, I think there's so much to that. Cause then there's also moments where I feel like if something bad happens that we might struggle to feel guilty about still being th like still thriving or feeling good about something else. So just allowing ourselves to, you know, be open to the and, yeah. and that, and that it's not a non-compete clause. I love that so much. <laughs> I'm so glad. Yeah, but it just, it was, it's been a lot of fun to, to bring it, to bring this book into the world and let it come alive um, as people are using it. Yeah, that's awesome. And where yeah. can people, you know, find your book? And you mentioned like your journal that's available, like where can people find yeah. you? Yeah, so um, you can go to my website, which is lnsamino.com. And there's a page that actually says journal and there's a page that says the book. Um, so you can get information about those there. And then the book you can find at bookshop.org, which supports local booksellers um, and certainly so, also Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Uh, but if you go to my website and get the book there, once you've ordered it, then you can sign up to get some free resources, practices, a whole resource page that's awesome. available to you as, as my treat to you to, to thank you for, yeah. for playing with it. <laughs> yeah, well, I will definitely put all of that in the show notes. And yeah, I mean, it sounds like such a fun book. And yeah, so I'm really excited. So what like impact do you want to have with like the book and just like the work that you're doing? Yeah, for me, it's I really want to create I think of it as like a whoosh or a ripple of more possibility, right? Of more women in particular feeling like they can choose to inhabit their joy and create possibilities in their lives when there seemingly aren't any. Mm -hmm. Whether those are the little walls that we put up on any given day or the big ones, right? Yeah. But really moving, one of the things that's important to me is um, reminding people that we don't need to be fixed and that we're not broken. 
that's a that's a big one right and so if we live in this space of we can we can become our own magic makers right but we can we can create possibilities where there were only walls before and that's really the the whoosh that I hope this book and my work creates and a sense of um women coming home to themselves right a a legacy really of belonging internally so that then we can create belonging for all around us. Yeah. I love that so much. And then I always like to ask, how has being yourself led to your success? I mean, every time I show up as myself and that I am being myself, it's, I, I go to a place of magic, of possibility, right? It's, that's where I, allow and get curious and that's where you know I do things like going paragliding or most recently belly dancing a story for another time (laughs) I know Uh, right but the most just that sense of not getting in my own way so every time I allow myself to be myself um I'm creating space for for unexpected delight and possibilities and and that's that's a magical place for me so yes oh I love it well I'm so glad that you are being yourself and creating space for possibilities and for everyone else and I could just talk to you forever I've so appreciated this conversation yeah me too thank you thank you thank you for having me I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did I think the page that Elena opened up to and read to us about using and was so fitting as we were making changes in our lives. We can face challenges and still feel good about ourselves. Definitely visit her website, elenasonino.com, to purchase her Thrive Journal, her book, Inhabit Your Joy, A Book of Nudges, and just take advantage of the other resources that she offers and to stay connected with her because she's just so amazing. And if you've enjoyed this episode and feel the urge to share it, this is my whisper to you to share this episode on social media or write a review. It would just mean the world to me to just keep sharing this with as many people as possible. It's time to stop ignoring your whispers. It's time to get back to the person you were meant to be. It's time to be you. 